You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You ready to play the fight song? I am. Here we go. Okay, so I guess another program that used the studio had a bunch of other stuff queued up. That was fun. Uh, welcome to the 3DMs podcast. I'm We're Jake. professionals, I promise. Yeah, I'm Jake, joined by Paul as per usual because we can't find anybody else to fill the third chair ever. No one loves, a, loves us. Too late them. to change the branding. Yeah, loves us enough and we can't change the branding. I guess we could change the branding. I'd only be out like couple hundred bucks, but I don't know. That's a couple hundred bucks I don't have. Stick to Stick Stick-to-itiveness. Anyways, hope everybody's doing well. We have survived the polar vortex, and we are now here to talk about two of our personal favorite classes. Um, well, one of mine is definitely my personal favorite, and we're going to hop into that one first. But we're talking about Session Zero, how to shape the world around your monks and your paladins when you sit down and you have that lovely little discussion of how everything works in your world. And we are going to start off uh, with my unbiased, no opinion based, uh, no comment, no comment, absolute, absolute favorite class on the planet, uh, Paladin. It was the first thing I ever played. It was the first thing I wanted to play. Uh, it always, as for whatever reason, as a child, the idea of the Paladin, the dude riding around uh, in big armor, hitting things with smites and uh, healing stuff, always just seemed neat. Um, and so we're going to start with that uh, using my favorite bit of information that I get from 538, that little chunk graph, like, I really want to, I'm going to tweet at them later and ask if we can get, like, a year worth of this information. No, because I just, I love it so much. No, There's that's, so much great stuff. That's fair. Just, I feel like 538's already doing a lot of political stuff with the uh, local climate. Yeah, so. Forget about that. I want D&D stats. Break it all down for me, <laughs> Daddy. Um, <laughs> so, Paladins. Um, according to 538, for that one month of information they took, over 100,000 characters made. Uh, Paladins are your seventh most played class. Interesting. Behind the usual four, of course. Yeah, but behind uh, in this order, fighter, rogue, wizard, barbarian, cleric, ranger, and then we have the paladin. Um, hey, Adam. Uh, <clears throat> so top – your average uh, paladins are going to be, according to this at least, uh, here's the top four, the ones that, you know – after that, everything was a little too close to really count, but here's the ones that really stuck out. Um, humans, dragonborns, dwarves, and half-elves, which I thought was interesting, but they get a pop to charisma, so it kind of makes sense. Um, so starting with Paladin, uh, Paladin is definitely a baby that you have to handle a lot different than your normal 
player character, and here's why. Well, it's a little less flexible than a standard fighter background, which is basically dude with sword. But yeah. So I would like to play a fighting man. Yes. Um, so we're just going to dive right into it. Paladins are weird uh, because compared to every other class in the game, um, Cleric fits in with them a little bit more. But Cleric at the same time, at least in my eyes, Cleric has always had that view, that shape, that they are a member of a religious order and they're part of the religious hierarchy, not necessarily people who fight on the field, even though they're very, very, very good. Yeah, at there's it. something to be said, of course, that a cleric of war is basically a paladin light, like diet paladin. Mm-hmm. But – but with way better spells. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's not hard. Paladin spells are not very good outside of the smites. But when it comes to uh, deciding morality, um, Paladin, uh, and because of the older editions, which we covered all of this in our episode where we actually just talked about the class Paladin in general, check it out in uh, our archives. Go back and find the stuff if you want to see it. If we were prepared, we would have had the exact uh, – I'd give you the exact number. But, but we're, we're not. not prepared. So <laughs> – but they have this built-in morality. That they have to work around, that they have to, that has to be used and has to be, uh, you know, talked about and reasoned with all the time. And that is where we're going to get into a lot of trouble. So we got a nice long list of things to talk about with how paladins are viewed in your world. But this one is actually going to come from this very first one is going to be you as a DM to your player because I want to get this one out of the way very quickly. Because this one's come up multiple times in our pre-show discussion about, you know, the show flow. And, so and that so. is having a nuanced discussion with your player about their expectations for being a paladin, what they plan to accomplish as a paladin, and how they plan to portray their paladin. Um, even though it's my favorite class in the game, paladin is the one class that when someone says to me, hey, I'd like to play a paladin, I always go, cool, let me figure out what everybody else is doing, and I really are you, consider... Are what, you going to do something stupid that your party does not like? I, it's usually it's also a measuring stick against the players that I know because, you know, I mean, I've always got a couple of fairly new players that I haven't completely figured out, uh, you know, how they tend to interact and what they do with my setting and interact with other players. But if I have some players that I know are going to be doing shenanigans, yeah, shall we say. doing shenanigans, doing things that would immediately cause like a lot of squabbling, I won't say no to the paladin, but I'm going to be like, hey, so-and-so is playing a rogue, and so-and-so is playing a bard, and so between them, they're going to be stealing and fucking everything they can get their hands on. So if you're cool with being able to, like, look the other way and things like that, then that's fine because we don't want no- – nothing breaks down a session quicker than petty squabblings of morality. Paladin Dance hated that. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, so first things first, player wants to play a paladin, cool. Make sure that – you have a very good, firm understanding that they can throw down the, you know, what is right is right, what's wrong is wrong, law is law, about 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 that. They do tend to clash a bit with the less um, morally inclined classes, which is most of them. All of them, other than cleric. Cleric, cleric gives them a low five. Cleric and probably wizard when they're not having no sense of right and wrong. Well, no, wizard at level six just decides that they can start to rule the world with their evocation might. So, you know. Yeah, but pre-level six, they're pre-level, supposed to be lawful. Yeah, pre-level six, they're anyway. pretty reasonable dudes. Oh, I was going to say, the other class we're talking about this show, monks, usually gets along pretty well with paladins, but yeah, we'll but get to that in a bit. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to cover that old chestnut here shortly. Um, so, paladins. Um, first of all, let's just talk about how they're viewed in your setting and how you want to do them in your setting. Uh, Paul, I know you and I have very differing views on how we run paladins. Yes. Um, in my setting, uh, 
my paladins are like most paladins belong to one uh, distinct church. There's a couple of paladins of like lesser faiths that are less militaristic, but for the most part, the paladins uh, belong to one certain subsect, and their whole job is to go out and bump back against the things that go bump in the night. Your undead, your evil, uh, you know, your evil creatures and liches and demons and devils and all that and shit. The occasional douchebag fairy. Yeah, and the <laughs> that tooth fairy is getting a little handsy. Watch out. Watch out. Uh, so uh, when it comes to paladins. Too, too many teeth. <laughs> too many teeth. When it comes to paladins and, you know, deciding how your world's based, uh, there's a lot of fun stuff you can already do right away. Um, I'm going to switch slightly into just another thing. Um, it always comes back to how your the slider is set on your Your high. hue meter of grim, dark versus noble, bright. Um, I was actually going to hop to that in a second. I was going to talk about high and low fantasy, and then ah, well, you're grim case, and let's talk about the, uh, the the gradient meter. Of yeah, this, high to this low. access. Um, so high to low fantasy, depending on where your stuff is sent. Either there's armies of paladins, pretty typical high fantasy thing, you know. Well, maybe not armies, but you know, platoons, you know, something like twenty that. forty, uh, you know, twenty forty paladins. That's I, I don't know. I call that an army. <laughs> well, I've got military organization in my mind, but we'll save that for another day. Hmm. Um, no, I was just reading uh, some of the comments here, and Dan's got something pretty interesting, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I got a segue to that smoothly. Um, but, you know, depending on how high, low the fantasy setting is, you know, either there's going to be paladins everywhere making sure that evil doesn't show its face, or, you know, that's going to be the lone wandering badass doing what he can to try to keep the world safe from what bumps in the night. Um, yeah, it's Knights Errant versus. Catholic special forces. Yeah. No, that's actually the Catholic SWAT team or uh, the one dude who's just riding around trying to make the world better. But now I do want to talk about what you uh, had talked about earlier. And this is the one class, again, where it kind of applies. And that is what is the uh, – on the slider of grim dark where everything bad happens all the time because it Nothing can. good can ever happen because yeah, the world's a terrible And place. whenever there is a candle of hope, it will be snuffed out almost immediately, uh, you know – Versus Noble Bright, where every you know the good guys always win, the bad guys laugh maniacally, and uh, you know Skeletor, uh, you know, tells them to tone it down a bit. Yeah, Skeletor just tells them, "Hey, calm down, guys. You're you're being a bit dickish." Uh, On that scale of Noble Bright to Grim Dark, where does your setting fall? That is a very important question to ask yourself uh, before you have a player playing a paladin, and. Because it drastically affects why someone would want to become a paladin and how paladins are viewed by the general populace and how paladins are going to be regarded and received and by even, you know, political forces, uh, various things of that, you know, other variables of that nature that can't really just be adjusted. If it's a very happy, well-adjusted campaign setting where everybody's happy and good things happen all the time, then, yeah, paladins are going to get their little pat on the head and a little, you know, kick on the butt for, hey, good job fighting evil, guys. But in settings where even, you know, the monarchies and the politicians and the people in charge and there's gangs and there's just corruption everywhere and, you know. Because people are bastards because I got pushed over once. Yeah, you know, people are just. Okay, bad people, people are just bad people, then the paladin, you know, suddenly takes on a very different thing. Paladins might have to hide. Paladins might have to, you know, conceal what they're doing, try to act from the shadows as much as a dude walking around in full plate can. 
Um, I mean, either that or they just act as a single lone ranger against the tides of darkness and will eventually fail. But until then, they'll do the best they can. Yeah. And what kind of trauma that packs along with them. Um, So figure out the first thing, you know, I think that's really important to figure out is, again, where does your world sit on that whole morality axis? You know, is everything kind of tilting towards bad things happen all the time or, you know, is it somewhere in the middle? Does good thing happens? Kind of figure that out. Because that gives a paladin purpose. A paladin, after all, should be actively trying to make the world a better place. And if the world's already a pretty decent place, then they're not going to be – Some paladins. <laughs> we'll get to that. They're not going to actively be trying to overdo it, so to speak, and definitely not have inter-party conflicts and uh, also you know, maybe have a better understanding of who they're supposed to be in this setting. Um. So let's talk about training. Um, that's a pretty easy chestnut. For me personally, I know the way I do paladins because most of my games I start at level three. Um, it's just easier. Just get people w- out of Rusty Dagger Shanktown. Yeah, get everybody out of, you know, I, I don't want a player to work on a character for two hours and then just have dice treat them like shit and they're, you know. Oops, that kobold critted you. You're dead. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of wanting the players to succeed. So. You know, I like to start at level three and because we also get a lot better stories at level three because now we have so many different subclasses for every class that you can drastically shape a character in a very different way depending on what they choose. So you can write a more compelling backstory. So that's why I like level three. But, um, you know, for me, normally I tell a paladin, yeah, you've been training like a paladin doesn't get let out of paladin school until they're level three in my campaign. You have to have made your oaths and you have to, you know, your whole shebang has to be sorted out before you before you're allowed to leave the uh, the walls of the training yards and so on and so forth because otherwise uh <clears throat> a common problem that runs up is the oath stuff but we'll talk about oaths here in a second but i like to i like to keep them you know uh say they have to be trained until they're about level three before they go out and see the world do you have uh, any differing ideals there paul well uh to be a, con- a commander contrarian over here uh, my paladins are individually chosen by uh, their deities, which is uh, the way paladins used to do is they're basically, John, go and do my will. <laughs> uh, but much like clerics, uh, paladins are not necessarily something you train for but something you're chosen for. Right. Um, and the churches that use paladins don't necessarily have training – don't have summer camps for paladins. Uh, they have um, – I mean, sure, if you want, you can go there and get training. But usually if you've been chosen, you've been chosen to go do something right now or like in the next month or so because gods can't directly intervene. Otherwise, there would be no need for paladins. Right. Of course. Um, so that's another thing to cover is um, how trained are your paladins because obviously they, ha- they have martial training. They have full plate training. So they're obviously pretty experienced somehow. So how did they get that? You know, things to keep in mind and consider when you're definitely putting all this stuff together for your paladin. Um, you know, where does – yeah, where does the funding come from? Where do they get their equipment? Who's training them? Are these veteran paladins? Are these, uh, you know – What age did they know they were chosen um, or were they picked to become a paladin? You know, normally I like to do a lot of pop culture kind of, you know, like, oh, this is the most relatable kind of thing. And easily enough relatable for both classes we're covering today actually is the Jedi just to save time and make it blanket and easy because there's a lot of similarities for both. But Well, they're both holy order classes, which is why we chose this in the first place. Oh, but. Yeah, but come on. Don't <laughs> don't open the curtain up too much, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Hey, we spoiled that last week. Yeah, but still. Anyway. Uh, so when it comes to, you know, funding and semantics and little bits, you know, the details that, you know, you sprinkle in to try to make the campaign richer for everybody, make the world feel more alive so everybody has a much better time, um, you know, figure out where the money's coming from, the money trail, how they're getting trained, how everything's getting slapped together on them. And from how are they there, getting their mission? Do they have a, a, a cop boss who tells them they're a loose cannon and they're off the force? Yeah. Is there, uh, you know, is there one paladin chief who yells at certain paladins for the way they handle things like a 90s detective? And I go back in there and beat that prisoner until he gives us some uh, some information or something like that. Well, you know, doesn't really work. Um, right. doesn't really work for paladins, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> you get the idea. I guess um, the next thing to f- really figure out something to inform your players and your players decisions is their powers and where their powers come from and what their power base is. Um, and what I mean by that is not necessarily the fact that they use divine spells. Um, but, that's pretty common knowledge. But how powerful is the actual organization in the setting uh, does. Um, so insight into my setting, uh, the big, uh, I guess, paladin order if you want to call it, is called the Knights of the Solstice. Um, and the Knights of the Solstice, in my setting, have basically, they went from being very small, now they're very large, and they have considerable uh, both political and actual martial might. They're a well-respected, uh, government-free organization, perhaps the most powerful other than, you know, my mages and all that shenanigan. Wizards. Yeah. Um that is not directly controlled by the government in my setting. It's a non-state actor. Yeah. So figuring out exactly how much paladins, how much clout the paladins um, themselves and the paladins that are around, you know, the planet, like how much access to support. And, you know, if a paladin walks into your Lord's, manner and starts throwing down the dick stick. I need stick. your clothes and your motorcycle. Yeah. Starts doing Arnold stuff or, you know, just throws the dick stick down about, you know, listen, damn it, people are going to die, you know, and all that. Um, does the Lord go, okay, get this crazy man in armor out of my house or does he have to listen because... Fine, fine. You know, they're important. These are little details that can really help and you can also, it gives a player um, a lot more agency and a lot more ideas when they realize that, okay, I am, even though I'm a low-level initiate of a very powerful organization. Uh, I represent my organization and can throw some of that clout around. Yeah, you can throw that political weight around. Um, You know, little details like that, again, just help inform player action and helps player make, you know, better decisions and not necessarily dumb decisions. It helps them make good decisions. And that's what we want. Well, the other thing I was going to say is if your paladins do not organize into a specific like knightly or holy order, um, they obviously have a lot less political clout, but it also means they've got to deal with a lot less. I wouldn't say interdepartmental politics because that sounds way too buzzwordy for paladins. But less, um, you should be doing this instead of this or having to submit after action reports and requisitions for supplies to your actual bosses. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a very abrupt tonal shift here, though, and because we got a lot of other stuff we want to cover and we have to – we've got very limited time today. Um, I got somebody right in after us. So if you want to see a Geek End update, well, just keep listening. Yep. Um, so – we're going to talk about Oathbreakers really quick. Um, and I want to talk wow, about – Wow, what a tonal shift right yeah, there. <laughs> I told you. I told you it was going to be a little jarring. Um, but 
Well, I, I want to talk about Oathbreakers, but I also want to talk about oaths in general. Um, if you go back in our archives again and check out the Paladin episode, we talk about oaths a little bit and all that stuff. Uh, but we talk more about the history of the class. And I'm very happy with the oath system because it allows us more flexibility. Um, and paladins must be lawful good and black guards must be chaotic evil. You know, yeah, black guards have to put X amount of kittens I've in a blender them. a day yeah. to fucking maintain their power source. Like, it's dumb. It's really dumb. I must with- eat this many toddlers a day. Um, Else my lord will lose favor with me. So when it comes to when it comes to oath breakers and oaths in general, um, I mean, just two seconds on the soapbox. Uh, if you're as a DM actively looking for ways to make your paladin fall, go fuck yourself. Um, no, that's I sincerely no, I, from the bottom of my heart. Like if you're trying to just make your paladin fall for your fun and your fun alone, go fuck yourself. From there. Um, you know, it's because it is a it is a compelling trope and it is something that a lot of us have seen in television and, you know, th- have loved things. You but know, they like have that. to have and I redemption mean, arcs, but it's got to have meaning and it's got to be informed by player action. One of the worst it has stories to be a choice by a player and not you putting them in a trolley problem where either way, X amount of babies die. Yeah. Um, one of the worst like falls I've ever heard of uh, came from a friend of mine. He was playing in a game and he was playing a paladin and. He went to loot a corpse of the bad guy because he had a key, but because he was the one who was stealing from a dead body, the DM made him uh, fall. And I literally threw a chair. I was so mad because I'm very passionate about First my all, paladins. You're an adventurer. Looting dead bodies isn't even a skill because everyone is assumed to be proficient in it. <sighs> Regardless. Regardless. Um, so the, the beauty- Oathbreaker is a much better story than turning into – a paladin, what was it, a, a fighter with no bonus feats. Yeah. If, um, you know, we, we could really dive in all the subclasses and do a, you know, a heavy breakdown on very various oaths and how all those work. Um, but as it pertains to Session Zero stuff, um, I think it's really important for a DEB to work with a player, much like you would work with a significant other on, uh, you know, on that marriage ceremony. Work on some oaths. Um, even though, well, even though they've got like the ideals listed in the book, I think it, that if you actually put words to paper and you, you know, make a solemn vow to Saint so and so, Justicar X and Y, and have them get into that, again, this adds just another little layer of character development, of informed agency and player action. A code of conduct that they feel that they're not just making up as they Yeah, go. they're not making up. They feel like they're actually honoring something. Again, immersion is the. Immersion is the drug. The start of role-playing. Yeah, immersion is the way to get everybody to have fun. And when everybody's sucked into what's going on, then they have fun. And that is a great way to add little details. Now, sit down with your paladin. Talk about their oaths. Talk about how serious they are. Um, You know, this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, you know, where make sure, you know, let them know not to be a stick in the mud, but also have them stand for their convictions. Playing a nuanced paladin is very hard. I know normally here on this show, we like to, you know, we like to poke fun at players because, you know, uh, between Paul and I here, we've seen a lot of shenanigans and I'm willing to bet a lot of you other very experienced DMs have also seen incredible amounts of shenanigans, but they're like the DPS on MMO raid. But at the same time, like playing a paladin's hard. Playing a good paladin who, you know, doesn't just sit back and let every bad thing happen, but also doesn't over insert himself is hard. So it's a balancing act. You know, it's sure. a very difficult balancing act. Try to try to give that player that paladin a player slack because presumably unless you're God, the God, not the God. OK, we're going to talk about this again in a moment. But again, 
unless the being who is granting them power is so incredibly stuck in the mud and completely unwilling to flex, they will probably understand and warn the paladin if they do something that they feel violates their oaths. Yeah. Or at least give them a sign like, hey, stop doing that. Um. So, yeah, a couple – um, finishing up on oath and oathbreaker really quick. Uh, I'm actually personally of the belief that, uh, you know, evil paladin or oathbreaker paladin, um, oathbreaker can be played. And even though oathbreaker is themed to be, you know, blackguard and evil, but without the baby eating quota, uh, you know, there is definitely a way you can play oathbreaker and still have that person be like an okay person. They just haven't gotten atonement. I mean, after and all, also they're just, they're a loose cannon. They don't play by the rules. You know, well, sometimes, you know, it's, um, you know, they can be a good, compelling character and they can still be a good person. But just in, you know, in one situation, they made what could be considered the wrong decision, a very hard wrong decision. It's not like they don't feel bad about it. Maybe they don't even want to seek atonement. But they still think it was the right thing to do at the time. And yeah, they, they still they, fell. Yeah. So it's that is something worth considering. And don't just poop on uh, somebody playing an Oathbreaker because they want to be the evil guy. Um I mean, you can do that because that's kind of childish, but well, I'm well okay enough that. if 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 the you know if the argument's good enough, let it happen. That's you know that's pretty much where I sit because yeah, why do you want to be an oathbreaker so I can grind kittens into dust? Okay, yeah, now that ain't happening. Um, all right, power well, sources. Yeah, that's we uh, were going to talk about um briefly. And, uh, I believe Dan mentioned something in chat that we were going to touch on uh, briefly when it came to the power sources of paladins. Yes, um, so. First of all, uh, I want to talk about the power source thing a little bit. Um, if you, you know, you pay attention to Reddit and, you know, the, uh, the Facebook group that we're currently sharing to the Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition group, occasional Twitter, topic. you know, the occasional Twitter topic. Uh, but this comes up all the time. Um, you know, atheism when it relates to clerics and paladins. We've already set our piece on that in a couple of episodes. Um, so I'm going to summarize politely. Um, why are you playing a divine power class if you don't want to have divine power? I mean, Dan has a reasonable assumption, but if you want your powers to come from some nebulous force, what are you swearing an oath to? Yeah. Um, so I do have a solution. It's not a pretty solution. It's not a great solution um, because I'm – I do even though – because people will say it all the time and it's a piece of advice that I'm not – particularly myself personally fond of, of the um, you believe in yourself so much that you're able to do holy action. Well, that fits for some settings. More than those. Again, as I've mentioned multiple times, the settings I run tend to have magic as something that anyone who applies themselves can do. Yes, but the idea that your will is so strong that you can just start generating smites is... Well, we're going to be talking about monks in a minute here. But... <laughs> oh, I know, but they're, they're different, Paul. <laughs> they are different. Um but you're saying yes. Anyways, um, well, because we got to keep a trim on time, and I do want to give monks as much spotlight as we can today. Um, do some reading on uh, both the Nova Corps from Marvel Comics and uh, the Green Lantern Corps from DC Comics, because guess what? Uh, one of those things was stolen from the other. I'm not going to say which. That's a spoiler for you to figure out on your own research. But they do make great, compelling sources of where a non-god entity grants powers Two individuals who are out there to try to do good because they have been chosen. Time caps. Uh, you know, they've been chosen to do good, goody, good things. Um, final thoughts on Paladin and Session Zero stuff. Anything you can think of that we missed? Because well, we are sprinting through the show today. <laughs> 
I mean, we've kind of covered most of it. Uh, if I was going to say anything else about Paladin, uh, it would probably be that you should consider strongly um, why they're running around with any random group of people. Yeah, I th- actually, I think they're very easy to shoehorn into any party because, um, you know, as long as a and this is something I would normally tell a paladin player too. Um, just God be- told you to do it. Well, no, it's not even that. It's because uh, you know, just because their int or whiz might not necessarily be low, they're still probably got a tactical mind. Now they might not know algebra very good. Hell, they might not even know second grade math real good. But guess what? They're really they've been training for years about how to tactically fight. And guess what? Having a wizard, a rogue, another fighter, a dude who literally just like screams and laughs when he gets hit in the face, you know, around you, those are all very useful tools to have. So if they're off trying to do good, having some friends who are very useful, who are willing to work with them is something useful to have. Um, my final thoughts on Paladin, again, it's it takes a lot of love, but you can definitely build a lot of really cool stuff around for a Paladin. You can make a paladin feel, um, you know, have have a lot more weight in the setting. I, I feel like that's something that doesn't get used a lot for paladins. And you don't see a lot of paladins um, really shown, at least the way, you know, and I'm not saying that my way is the right way, but I... My way of the highway is what you're saying? No, no I'm just I'm, joking. Anyway, go I on. don't think paladins get enough um, respect as like an organization or like as an institutional force. And I think there's a lot of very cool ways that you can add to your own setting and to player enjoyment by, you know, because, I mean, after all, my running joke to my players whenever they ask, well, what happens if we start doing evil things? Well, I liberally apply paladins until the problem is solved. <laughs> Let's talk about monks. Monks. Um, I got some. Uh, this is a controversial class. Uh, I got some numbers here. Ball. Hit me. Uh, so over at 538, again, in that beautiful little cross-section of data that we got, Monk is the ninth most played class. Um, the bottom three apparently being, uh, at least according to when the data was gathered, Bard, Sorcerer, and Druid. Monk, uh, jumps in just a little bit before them. Um. Which is surprising to me. I think that, uh, Sorcerer would be more popular, but I think it's probably because, uh, uh, Wizards kind of did the Blizzard entertainment well, special can, of giving hey, everything they gave to. Guess what we're talking about next show. <laughs> we'll save it for that. Right. Um, most popular monks according to the data that was gathered. Now, granted, this data does not have Tabaxi, and I think Tabaxi Monk happens a lot because Tabaxi Monk is fucking awesome. Um, but Human, no Elf, Eric Rokra. Are the uh, are the top three according to the cross section of data? Aracroca. That's Aracroca. Fucking bird people. Ah. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are the three most commonly played monks, which is interesting. Um, I think it makes sense for the because I'm not going to try to say their name. I'm going to butcher it. I'm really bad at saying Aracroca. Yeah. I'm, I, I, How is it spelled? It's A A whatever. A A. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, I think they get picked a lot because. Uh, there is I assume some, they have a dex wisdom bonus or something. There's a dex wisdom bonus, and I think there's also like a cultural inborn thing. Um, Genasi also get a lot of play, too, which is another. Those are the elemental people, right? Yes. Okay. Um, the childrens of the elements. Um, I should really be more familiar with these things. Yeah, well, they, they got introduced really early, then everybody kind of forgot about them. Um, yeah, also on the side, too, no one wants to play Asmar. Everybody hates angel people. Everybody hates Chris. Moving on to monk stuff, though. So monks are where things get a little hairy when it comes to uh, doing that world building stuff. And here's why. Um, Unless you have it 
pre-planned in and you've got those right notes already set and hit. This is uh, probably the first time because a lot of people, um, you know, I'm going to assume I know we have audience, uh, you know, sprinkled all over the world. And thank you for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. But um, for the most part, I'm going to assume that our viewer base is mostly American. And I'm going to go off of what we were taught in American school. What we're taught in American school is the history of America and some of Europe and a little bit of Europe. We get some Mediterranean and a snippet of Europe and a snippet of Mediterranean. And so what ends up happening in a lot of homebrew worlds that you know the first time you do it but before you get your feet under you and you get a well, little you're bit still better putting things yeah i'll just throw everything in yeah you know the the world's uh, the sink uh building method so to speak speak um monks as a class sorry that was a little sharp uh monks as a class are the very first distinctly eastern thing you can run the rest of Dungeons and Dragons as entire, entirely set in central France in you know twelve hundred Charlemagne, um, you know, or German, you know, have Germany and England and all those parallels. Generally and- speaking, despite Wizards' best efforts, and thank you, Wizards, because I think this is quite not not clever, but quite interesting and good of them to do so. Most Dungeons and Dragons is assumed to be set in Western European fantasy. Yeah, but it's. There, this is a topic for another day, but it's you know it's just a whole history of you know it, this is a hobby played by white people, and this is what white people know, and this is the history that we write. It's changing now, thankfully, yeah, but yeah, we're getting better at it. But the thing is that the monk is controversial because it's very distinctly an Eastern monk thing because you don't have – the monk class is not about drinking beer and writing Bibles. Yeah, it's not about copying down Bible stuff and then you know making that sweet, sweet Trappist ale to keep your monastery open. No, this is about the um, traditional uh, – Shaolin and Eastern martial arts. Although yes. that's such a wide category. Well, I'm there, oh, we we got a lot to dive in here. But yeah, let's keep this, let's keep this show So moving. it's inspired heavily by Shaolin monks who are – Mostly known, despite their beliefs, for being martial artists. Yeah, you want a pop culture reference for uh, what a monk is? Have you ever seen anything where they do martial arts? Congratulations, you've seen your pop culture inspiration for the monk class. Well, besides all that, so the problem is that it assumes you are from monastery. It assumes that the monk is from a monastery where they learn uh, wisdom and they learn how to center their mind and body. That could fit into anything, but the trappings of a monk are almost always assumed to be East Asian. Yeah, heavily Eastern, too. Um, the use of key as a resource, things like that. Um, we cover we cover this whole issue a little bit in our monk episode, which I also think is part of the Paladin episode that we did way back in the day. What a shock. Well, I know, right? Um, it's, it's like we planned this or something. Um, <clears throat> let's get to session zero stuff and talking to your monk. How and to plan, your your, how to fit your monk into the setting without just taking a crowbar and prying. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about organizations. Um, There's two real schools of thoughts to uh, Monk, and this is, of course, entirely me soapboxing, so bear with me. But the first one is the default assumption, which is that you go to a monastery, you get trained, and then you're presumably sent out in the world in order to gain experience before coming back and being a sweet martial arts instructor for the rest of your life. Yep. Cushy job. A lot of tenure. The other one is you go to a single master and you buy him gifts – well, him or her gifts, and you scrape and bow until they teach you how to fly and kick somebody through a brick wall. Yeah, <laughs> which is also my favorite. Um, I'll, on, I think on Twitter I'm going to share that article later. Um, no, there is there is an article that I absolutely love about a uh, American man who went to China 
recently to learn how to do sweet kung fu stuff, and it was uh, everything he did not expect. And Don't meet it, your heroes. It is a yeah, it is a hilarious and delightful and enjoyable read. Um, so yeah, it's either you're training with somebody on the top of a mountain or you're going to a monastery. That said, there's of course the third path where you're training yourself, but we'll get to that in a bit. This isn't really so much organization as it is training methods. Yeah. So talking to your player, obviously figuring out what they want to do. Um, do they want a kung fu backstory? Or are they going for more uh, more gritty martial artist? And more importantly, too, I mean putting it in your setting, how prevalent are the martial arts in your setting? Um, you know, one of the one of the problems about having you know a smattering of races that are sentient, have cultures, histories, and doctrines and things like that is that, you know, I mean, even when you look at our real world where we're all just humans, you know, everybody has a developed martial art no matter what. Um, and you can say America doesn't really have a martial art, but at the same time, we it's Semper Fu actually. Yeah. It's well, marine martial arts. Well, there's Semper Fu. And I was also going to say that MMA, even though it gained traction all over the world, it is, you know, America is the hotbed Do for you mean MMA. 15 minutes of sweaty crotch punching. Okay. We're going to fight in the car later. Um, <laughs> but, you know, taking a moment to research martial arts of the world and um, perhaps base things off of that rather than just stereotypes of Shaolin monks, which we'll get to in a moment. Which, yeah. Um, you know, considering what martial arts are active and around in your world and having that conversation. And then also, um, you know, I am a little fond of giving players like a tiny bit of homework. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, say, I want you to write me 30 pages of backstory. But if I, I want you to I want you to write me the backstory of your monastery. Um, well, I actually I, I did a session zero last night, actually. And um, uh, I'm going to rope this one in here really quick because it is related a little bit. He wanted to play a blade singer wizard. And he wanted to figure out, well, he wanted to use certain weapons and come up with a form. And I was like, okay, cool. So let's sit down and I want you to like, you know, figure develop out a, the form, develop the form, develop the martial art, like tell me all about it and then I'll make it happen. And I'll write, you know, I'll write some stuff in the world and we can work together on it. Um, that's the same thing with monk stuff. Uh, if somebody wants to play a monk, really cool. Um, if they're a little lost on their ideals for monk or they don't like what you have in your setting, um, this is where we come to one of our patented phrases here on the show. Let your players do the work. Um, no, I'm actually going to take a brief moment to talk about uh, one of the best things I ever had a player write for me, and that would be to Mike. So I hope Mike's actually listening to the show this week because he tunes in every now and again. Um, so uh, I know this story. But go um, on. A mutual friend of ours by the name of Mike, played a monk in one of my campaigns. And I hadn't really come up with any monasteries yet. And I was kind of struggling with it because everything I came up with just felt too cliche and too forced and, you know, just kind of vaguely racist. Yeah, vaguely racist and, like, just didn't have all the it, – it didn't feel real. It felt like a caricature of what you would see. And I've gotten a lot better at it, but at the time, I couldn't figure shit out. So he came up with a monastery. It's also it worth mentioning good. that – it's also worth mentioning that Mike is a black belt. Um and the name of the monastery was the Fraternal Order of the Brotherhood of the Flying Fist, which is a monastery that bases their entire training, doctrine, and ideals on the fact of going out and fighting everything until you find that uh, bigger fish that finally flattens your ass. The idea of being a brother. Peel yourself off the ground and head back, and that's how you know you've become a real monk. Yeah, to be a brother, uh, to be a member of the Fraternal Order. <laughs> The Fraternal Order of the Brotherhood of the Flying Fist, and you have to say the whole thing. Um, you can't shorten it. Every uh, time. Every time. Is, you know, they are, in a way, they're almost frat bros. 
They challenge everybody to push up contests. They're out there to prove that their uh, their martial art has made them strong. They're not bad people, but they just want to prove to everybody that hey, the way they do things is the way to kick everybody. Egotistical ass. does not necessarily mean evil. Uh, please steal that, by the way. If you ever end up using the Fraternal Order of the Brotherhood of the Flying Fist, let us know because it <laughs> it's it one of, pretty good. It's one of our uh, favorite running jokes at the table, no matter what. Uh, but. If a player has an idea for a monastery and the way they train and the way they do things, um, by all means, let them present. Let them come up to you with that or sit down and work with them. Make um, necessary changes if you need to, but keep the heart and soul of it because your player made it. They'll be inspired by it. I mean, I think if you've gotten to the point of wanting to be a DM and want to start doing world building and, you know, because I think a, a shared passion between all DMs, uh, you know, I'm just guessing here. Uh, we do love research. I, I do love learning things about history and other cultures and things like that. That's always been a, a fun thing. Like learning about the history of martial arts from all over the world is fucking sweet. There's a lot of really cool kung fu. There's a lot of really cool martial arts from uh, different parts of Asia and Europe and you know Africa and India. And there's just so much really neat stuff out there. Um, so sitting down and figuring out how these actual martial arts function in your world is a great way to start. Um, from there, uh, let's talk about reasons for training and reasons for becoming a monk. I think this is the most personal-based yeah, one. Yeah, this is not something I can easily generalize. So we'll try to cover as much of it as we can. Um, there's a couple reasons that immediately leap off the top of my head. Is One is you want to find you know inner perfection, which is the standard uh, it's open palm, I believe, is the – yeah. I would like to perfect myself, and that involves punching rocks with my bare fists. Sometimes those rocks are alive. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, that one – yeah, so due to the mass, massive variety of uh, flavors that all of these subclasses take for Monk. <laughs> monk has changes dramatically depending on the subclass. Yeah, like. depending on who you're working with and what you're working with. Um, it Yeah, the, the monastery and the, the ideals behind joining it are very different. Um, open hand is definitely the self-improvement, make myself perfect, yada, yada, yada. You know, the, the Kung fu should improve life for everyone. Yeah, Kung fu improves life for everybody. Do your yoga. It's good for you. Um, where things get a little dicey is like we have Way of the Shadow. Um, ninjas. You know, which is – I wouldn't just call them ninjas. Like rogues do ninja shit. Fucking Way of the Shadow. Rogues don't run up walls. Yeah. Rogues, uh, you know, uh, Way of the Shadow does scary ninja stuff, supernatural <laughs> ninja stuff. If you've played Legend of the Five Rings, it's uh, Shinobi versus actual ninjas. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's – we got Radiant Soul. Uh, yeah, which is sun blasts. Yeah, which is we made Goku jokes. Yeah, uh, there's Goku jokes. Goku jokes for days. Even though, actually, fun fact: Radiant Soul outlast or uh, predates Dragon Ball. Hmm. Wow, that's that's astonishing. Honestly, I yeah, I, I've been I've been saving days. that one for the show. Um, <laughs> is, is Goku ripping off Radiant Soul? Yeah, yes. Ain't anyway, that fun? Regardless, damn you, Akira. Um, <laughs> No, but depending on the, I mean, we got way of the four elements. We've got bad, uh, unless you fixed it. Yeah, unless you use the revised. Uh, we Which got way. We of the, I highly recommend, by the way, way of the long death, drunken master. There is, um, so many different ways that this information can be presented to a player. Um, and I'm actually going to dip back into Paladin because I did miss this really quick. This is the one thing we skipped, but we'll, we'll just knock out both at the same time. Right. Um, so with Paladin, I like for them to hit level three and then tell me what oath they're going to take. I don't want to know beforehand because I think that is a, 
Um, the way I do paladins in my game, it's you know, you by selecting a certain oath, you are selecting to do a certain thing. Yeah. Um, so I, I like to have that presented to me like that. Um, with every other class, I like to know what subclass they're going to go into because it, it it's a more informed life decision. Um, so that being said, when it comes to monk, um, finding out what subclass your player yeah. ends up taking. If what you're going to monastery start. did you train at or what master did you learn under is the question you should be asking them right from the start and should obviously greatly inform what monastic tradition they're going for. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, a lot of great comments by, Hey, by the way, guys, uh, we do the show live every two weeks, uh, you know, bi-weekly on the Facebook live. If you're having fun, uh, and you want to talk to us and leave some comments, please leave some comments. We do like to interact with you guys. Although, Today we're on a time leash, so you know we're not uh, we're not getting as much uh, talk with our our friends here as we would like to. But um, Dan Adam will be talking to you a little bit later. Um, <clears throat> so let's see, variant monks, and what I mean by variant monks is so let's say you want to not do kung fu because it doesn't fit very well with your it doesn't fit with your set. You know, and here's the thing: um, medieval European fantasy. I'm gonna I'm gonna out monks. myself here really quickly. I uh I only just got Tomb of Annihilation. I'm not I'm not big on buying you know I'm not big on buying adventures. I I'm, I, I run my own adventures. You know I I I, I want to be a completionist. I want to have every book for fifth edition. So you know it was it's one of the ones I haven't gotten yet. So I finally picked it up and I was flipping through it and there was a lot of great stuff. Um, but and as it relates to this show, one of the initial problems that I saw was that uh or you know in my head it was like okay well so let's say I want to play a character from Chult which is a amalgamation of various African cultures. Um, okay. And I want to be a monk from Chult. Why am I doing Kung Fu? Cause if you know anything about African martial arts, a lot of it's wrestling based and a lot, you know, grappling based submission based, um, you know, so they wouldn't be doing, you know, crazy spin kicks and stuff. They're trying to pry arms off. Yeah. You aren't just, you know, jump kicking somebody through a wall. That's just not something you're doing. Um, but the standard assumption is that you're going to a Shaolin style monastery, probably on top of a mountain, and you're training by doing a thousand katas every day. Yeah. Um, so finding variants of martial arts that are going to work for where your people are in the setting, um, way of the shadow can function very differently than, you know, the teenage mutant ninja turtle ninja vanish if you allow it, uh, you know, if you develop. And look at various ways of doing different practice, like spy techniques and hiding techniques and stuff. Um, you know, there's no way that a uh, way the shadow monk can't like be in a ghillie suit. You know, if <laughs> that's a pretty funny mental. I, image, I, I know it's a very funny mental image, and it's ghillie a ghillie suit sprinting up the side of a wall. Yeah, it's a little extreme of a metaphor too, but you get the idea. Yeah. Um, it doesn't always have to be ninjas, ninjas or Asian, you know, Oriental themed. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about this also is that um, it can also feel a bit awkward as a white guy to be sitting around there and, you know, men talking about uh, not necessarily Asian philosophy, but the sort of wuxia styled martial arts and doing the kung fu cones, uh, kwan, kwan, something like that. It just feels a bit wrong. So adapting it might be a good idea. Yep. Um Let's see. Final thoughts for Monk because, I mean, you know, <laughs> I guess the blunt there's a lot more for me to talk about, but we're kind of running out of time. No, we're running out of time, so. and I'm going to let you finish. I'm, the bluntest way to say it because we've been kind of scrambling around this now for the last 
10 minutes. Um, Blunt's way to put it is you can do – when you're doing your world building and your monk stuff, it's very easy to come off as accidentally racist. And it's it – You're can, not wrong. And it can be very hollow and it won't have a lot of heart behind it. The important part of doing world building and doing stuff to in, improve player enjoyment – Is to be genuine. Is to be genuine and for there to be depth and actual thought behind everything. If you just – you know. As much as I love kung fu movies and, you know, as much as, you know, like I grew up on Bruce Lee, like I, I'm not as good at sitting down and having a deep fleshed out monk, you know, monastery. It's, it's not something I'm good at. I've gotten better at it. I still don't want, I'm still not at where I want to be with it. Um, but if at any point, you know, you it's feel just, uncomfortable with it, just don't touch it. Let your players handle it. And you know, just try, try not, not to, to worry too much. Yeah, about try not it. to worry too much about it. Paul, I want you to finish up the show, bud. You you got a lot you want to say about Monk. Well, uh, one of the things that needs to be said briefly is that Monk doesn't necessarily have to be training in a monastery and doing martial arts because we talked about different traditions. The one of the ones that gets used a lot is luchador style wrestling. Uh, another one would have been. Uh, somebody important to me died and now I trained by doing nothing but punching bricks for six hours a day and I've mastered inside and outside. I have no monastic training but I'm really self – like I really have an awareness of the self and I want to be the very best and punch the shit out of someone. Monk is a lot more flexible than people give it credit for. But there's a uh, – as much as I love it, there's a good reason it's one of the more controversial classes. Go on. <laughs> Well, no, it just seemed like there, there that was a very pregnant pause. Well, I'm not going to talk too much about Pathfinder and third edition, what they did to poor Monk. Yeah, no, no. By the way, yeah. Uh, thank you, 5e design team, for giving us Monk back because yeah, for not putting it at the bottom of tier six. Yeah, no, for just having it being the most abysmal, accidentally racist thing that exists. It's actually a good class. Like, <laughs> It's it's actually a lot of fun. It falls apart a bit at the later levels, but it's one of the best damage dealers in the early game. Yeah, no, it's you know when it matters because guess what? Not every game's going to make it to level twenty. So you know, levels one through fifteen. Guess what? You're going to be using a monk for practically everything. Yeah, you're going to be blowing shit up. The other thing is that monk has a sort of weird problem where it's got a toolbox of abilities. So you need to sort of describe how these abilities would work and where they come from if you're not going to be using the uh, generic Shaolin monastery backstory. Like yeah. how is your character able to run up walls if again using the previous examples they're a you know a masked wrestler or they just really want to punch somebody really bad. Yeah. Um it, or perhaps they have personal reasons to not want to use weapons. Why can they jump 30 feet? It's, you know, and there's various other forms like that like um the idea of because one of my favorite monk concepts that I want to play, I got two monk concepts that I love to play. Um, I like doing uh, Way of the Four Elements, but it's a boxer. Because that's a punch. Exactly. I'm Hitmonchan. How you doing? <laughs> um, you know, I, I like doing that. And then I also, because I'm a giant wrestling nerd, uh, if you've paid attention to the show long enough, the, it sneaks in whenever I can get it in. Uh, you know, but... Thankfully, the grappling rules in 5e are not bad anymore. They're but not there's bad. still I, not really much support for it in I do, I do my homebrew stuff. That works out pretty well. Um, but the Traveler rules. Tra look up the Traveler grappling rules. They're amazing. Um, but, 
yeah, the like uh, because I'm a big wrestling fan and there is such a beautiful, deep uh, story tradition with Lucha Libre and the masks and the families involved in all that. Um, there is so much great, great stuff that I've just mined from Lucha. And, you know, I, I love to use in my setting because you know it can be played for hokiness, you know. Oh, guy I in a mask. I do feel it tends to get used a lot more for jokes than actual seriousness. Which is a shame because, you know. It's a long-standing tradition. Uh, well, a, a guy wearing a badass mask and going, this is the mask that was worn by my father, his father before him, my uncle, my uncle, my uncle, my cousin, and, you know, my little sister. You about to get your ass whooped. Um, you know, it's it's great stuff. There's a lot of great stuff. Um, finding and, you know, finding and using various other warrior cultures um, is important. Or combat, I, 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 not warrior culture per se, but um, fighting communities and fighting like styles and spirits, I guess is a weird way to articulate it, but I'm, that's what I'm going with. Um, Metaphors committed to now. Yep. Go. Is going to be your key to survival. Um the last thing I do want to say before we head out is you should ask your player why this monk has headed out of the safety of the monastery. If they're not working at a monastery, obviously, then the reason why they're running around being a murder hobo is a lot more apparent. That is to say, if you're trying to avenge your family and you just trained nonstop for years at a time, then obviously you're looking for vengeance. If you got your training from a single dude or dudette on top of a mountain, well, your training's done. Time to go out and use that stuff. But if you're in a monastery, why did you leave? When are you going to go back? Well, were you kicked out or you sent out on a journey? You know, yeah, uh, uh, spiritual growth. I mean, uh, you know, came from Kung Fu after all. One of the greatest, uh, one, one of them great 70s TV shows. You know, monk wandering the earth doing Kung Fu to solve everybody's problems. Um, there's, there's a. There's a lot of stories that can be told. By you know, it. I'm saying this is just something you should ask your player as per yeah. session. Yeah, there's stuff. a lot of stories that can be told with it, and there's a lot of great stuff you can do with it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, best way to help your monk player is do your research and try to create a combat culture where you can is, I guess, the cutest way to sum it up. We're about out of time. Um, yeah, we need to like it. So. Yep. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a like on Facebook at 3DMs Podcast. That is three spelled the old-fashioned way, T-H-R-E-E-D-M-S Podcast. Head to 3DMs Podcast, our page. Give us a like. Show us some love because um, we're trying to grow, but damn, we are busy, and I'm really bad at this social media stuff. Um, so I'd really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to hear more of our shows, you can find us everywhere you can find podcasts except for Spotify. Spotify doesn't like us, but look up, uh, look us up using that very exact spelling I just gave you. Follow us on Twitter. I made one tweet last week. You might get another next week. It's, uh, we're it's, not going to spam your dash. It's at three T H R E E, uh, underscore D M S underscore pod P O D. Um, Thanks for joining us next week or not next week, but uh, two weeks from now, we are going to be back. We are going to do sorcerer wizard and that cane takerous character who cannot keep his husband's bulge hidden away the bard. That's going to be our uh, that's going to be our wrap on uh, the standard classes for the session zero series. So join us next time. Uh, we can't wait. There's going to be a there's going to be a lot of shit talking on that show. So it, it, it's going to be it's going to be appointment podcasting, let me tell you. Um, My hatred for wizards is well known. But 
We have to get out of here. We got to scram. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And thanks for sticking with us this week. We are the two DMs waiting for a third. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.